All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite Casual Hoya basketball podcast. I'm Bobby Bancroft, and for episode 129, we are going to focus on the new name, image, and likeness NIL, and who better to talk about that than college sports reporter at Front Office Sports, Amanda Kristovich. You can find her, A. Kristovich, on Twitter. She's a great follow. I've been following her for a long time. Um, real quick about Amanda, she's previously at the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and once you follow her on Twitter, you'll realize that she has Georgetown's basketball courts on the background as she went to Georgetown. Amanda, how's it going? Uh, I'm I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm also a longtime follower of you as a uh, Georgetown alum <laughs> and, um, you know, <laughs> basketball fan. Yeah. So basically, this summer, Amanda, a lot of what's been, you know, talked about for years, maybe even decades, I don't know. But we finally got to a point where players can make money off of their name, image, and likeness, uh, NIL, as it's being called and referred to all the time. So for the Kente Corner people out there that aren't super familiar, can you kind of just, uh, I'm sure it's really complicated to explain everything, but can you kind of give like a Reader's Digest version of what kind of happened in July? Of course. So the short story is that well, there really is no short story, but the shortest <laughs> version of the story is that in 2019, California passed a state law that said that the NCAA schools in that state would not be allowed to prohibit their athletes from profiting off the use of their name, image, and likeness. That's a right that everybody just walking down the street in the United States has. It's basically, it basically means like, you get paid to be on a commercial, you get paid for your face, you know, to be next to a product, you know, that's kind of what NIL is. And the NCAA for years and years and years made college athletes sign that right away, actually, before they got to school. So in between 2019 and July of this year, there have been many state laws that have been passed that followed California. There was a big battle with the NCAA, et cetera, et cetera. The NCAA eventually said, okay, well, we're still not going to pay players' salaries, but we agree that NIL is a right that regular students have. So I guess, sure, like we'll give it to college athletes. The NCAA wanted to pass their own really strict policy for what types of companies you could partner with and you know, how NIL would be overseen from an eligibility perspective, because as we know, the NCAA wants as much control over everything as possible. They weren't able to do that for legal reasons that I could get into, but the short version is that they just sort of gave a blanket waiver on July 1st. So some of these NIL laws went into effect. And then for the states that didn't have NIL laws, all the NCAA schools in those states were allowed to, or their athletes were allowed to profit off of NIL. And then since then, it's just been kind of, you know, an incredible wave of all of these ways that college athletes have been making money. You know, we've heard about million dollar endorsement deals on social media. There have been commercials with athletes in them. There have been, and you know, there have been even sort of smaller, smaller things like athletes advertising, being able to sell like lessons for tennis camps, things like that. So that's kind of where we are now. There isn't a lot of regulation around this. Every single state and even school has their own set of rules, if any, for it. Many have called it the Wild West. But yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where we're at now. It's, it's an exciting time. It's been a crazy summer. So obviously, this has been coming for a long time. And 
like anything, the more successful programs have been preparing for it for a long time. It's not like in July, everyone got an email that said, hey, by the way, this can happen. Something mm-hmm. that caught my attention was a couple of weeks, you had a piece on front office sports about what Duke is doing. And obviously Duke is up there. It's a blue blood. But at the same time, you know, this is a Georgetown podcast and there's a lot of people that feel Georgetown and Duke, they have a lot of similarities. It's not like for like, you know, as far as just the kind of school, the kind of kids that go to the school, the men's basketball success has not been like for like recently, but there have been periods where they've been, you know, on equal footing. Can you talk about what Duke kind of rolled out with really quick and how they've gotten ahead of the curve? Yeah, so I I would definitely agree that Duke and Georgetown are in a similar category when it comes to the ways that they could be marketing their basketball programs and their men's basketball programs in particular. Duke has been on this game for a few years now. They have been building a what a source that I quoted in the story called almost like their own media company with their social media strategy in particular. They have been signing partnerships with outside companies to come in and help them with everything from distribution of content to sort of streamlining the way that creative operations like kind of run in the department. And they have they very quickly got out to the forefront of the social media landscape in college sports when it comes to like just the quality of the photos they post, the storytelling, the fact that they branded their team with the hashtag brotherhood and like, you know, like the, the purple, like angry emoji, like angry face double emoji. Yeah. They have. And and so when NIL rolled around, you know, they obviously kind of, signed some of the partnerships and 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 ha- and developed some of the educational aspects that a lot of other schools had but they already had the infrastructure and when i say infrastructure i mean physical infrastructure like they have a physical social media hub where they next to their practice court where their athletes can film things for social can go live on espn you know they have physical infrastructure they have an entire creative team just dedicated to men's basketball and they've been ready for a really long time they have them they have more followers on instagram than alabama football does which is really crazy um and so really what their story is is they've they put themselves in a position to succeed with nil and put themselves you know a few years ahead honestly and and what Dave Bradley, the men's basketball creative director, told me, you know, the focus is now, which has been the focus before, but now kids actually care about it because they can make money, is helping the using these resources to explain to their athletes and show their athletes how they can build their own following and brand that will survive beyond their, not just their due career, but their basketball career, right? Like, if one of them, you know, they, they don't all make it to the league as much as we sort of, you know, roll our eyes about like ugh, all the Duke guys going to the NBA, like, of course, not all of them do. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so they're really, Dave Bradley had this great quote, which I don't think made it into the story where he was like, when it comes to NIL, like a couple, you know, like it's more than just a couple Bojangles deals, right. For us, like we want to put these guys in a position to succeed and make money from their brand for years to come and and that's something that I think a lot of athletes may not understand right now and a lot of schools may not understand that like this is a recruiting opportunity for the future 
and not just for the years that you're in college. Well, I don't want anyone disrespecting bow time, you know, um, <laughs> you, you yeah, know, we... he, he definitely wasn't either, but, um, <laughs> so you, you mentioned all of the different ways that, that Duke is doing things. Do you kind of know what the organizational chart is over there? Because look, the head coaches obviously have, they're in charge of a million things, but when you get the, you know, the, I, I'm assuming the infrastructure of Duke is so robust that Coach K, and then it'll be weird to say, but in a couple months, it'll be just Coach Shire. Like right. how involved do the coaches have to be in this? Or do they have to just kind of like let this go to someone else in order to be successful? That's a good question. I'm not sure the immediate extent or or the, the day-to-day extent to which Coach K is yeah. involved in in this. What I will say, though, is he doesn't need to be because right. yeah. they have, you know, they have an entire team headed by Dave Bradley and they have, you know, they obviously have a sports information director. They have, th- I believe, three full time folks and then four student assistants that they were hiring to do everything from like photography to drones <laughs> was like one thing he said. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, the coaches don't really need to be, but clearly even if they're not involved from a day-to-day perspective, they are open and willing to allow their athletes to be part of this project. And they sort of have to have the Cliff Notes version of it because as they're recruiting, like you said, this is not just a one-time bow commercial. It's setting players up forever. So it's obviously going to be become a bigger and bigger part of the recruiting pitch, I would, I would assume. And not just for the head coach, but that's for the other assistants that are out there recruiting. Right. And, and Dave Bradley is actually part of their recruiting process. Like he said okay. that they have recruits come in and he gives them like a presentation and explains to them, you know, what Duke can offer them. And he said that, you know, these kids are listening to me. He feels like they're listening to him just as intently as they're listening to Coach K. It's like Coach K is given the on-court pitch. <laughs> Bradley is given the off. It's crazy. I think it's great, but it's also, you know, as someone that's, you know, I've been paying attention to college basketball forever. It's crazy to think that this is all happening and happened so fast. And it happened right before the season. So we're not even really going to see all of it, the effects of it in this year, because it's, you know, such in its, in its infancy. Right. Georgetown last week rolled out a program called The Blueprint. And uh, I know you've had a chance to look it over. They've got partnerships with the Athlions. And also, I'm probably going to say it wrong. I know it was part of your Duke article as well. It's N-I-F-L-C-R. Influencer, yeah. Influencer. See, I knew I was going to get that wrong. I knew I was going to get that wrong. So obviously, Kente Corner, everyone listening is glad to hear about everything, but they want to know, hey, you know, what's going on with Georgetown? So everyone was a little bit anxious. Nothing had sort of happened. Uh, Here at Casual Hoya, we did the Document Your Lunch program just to kind of, just to do an NIL, just to see what it was like. And it was cool. It was successful. Most of the players got involved. What do you think about what Georgetown's doing? I think that Georgetown's program, from what little we know about it so far, looks a lot like what a lot of the other schools have rolled out. Okay. And in terms of like schools with the resources that Georgetown has, right? Like the thing to remember about all of this is that it's hard to compare Georgetown's program to, you know, like Nebraska has a big robust NIL program, for example, that they rolled out because, because of the, you know, the money that they have that Georgetown doesn't have. Actually, I, (laughs) I looked it up the other day for, 
the listeners and Georgetown in 2019-2020 received I believe like 4.9 million dollars from the Big East whereas like power five schools received anywhere from like 30 to 55 million each so as far as resources goes you know they have two partnerships obviously they got Monica McNutt on the video which I thought was a really good use of their resources because obviously, you know, she has taken off recently and former, that goes- former Kente corner podcast. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, like she's taken off. They got her, you know, I guess you could say on the call for the video to show that, Hey, not only do we have people built who have built their brands, you know, who have come through the Georgetown sports program, but like, those people still care about you, right? I would say, however, there aren't a lot of details about how this program is going to, you know, I guess like differentiate itself. But again, not a lot of the other NIL programs don't either because a lot of the schools don't really know like what to do. (laughs) Honestly, like even the big ones, and they don't know exactly what their athletes need and how much and to what extent they need to be helping their athletes. So I thought it was I thought it was fine. I I definitely think that it served its purpose in that it shows that Georgetown is doing something. It's something to show the recruits. It's something to say, we're going to help you the blueprint, we're going to help you build your brand. You know, we have we have some resources to do that. We can educate you. We can help you with content. Uh, also, NIL programs are very specific to different sports, too. So it's athletic department wide. So I don't know. Those were just kind of my initial thoughts when I saw it. But again, even like to criticize it is like there aren't there isn't a ton of, of, of specificity with a lot of these other schools outside of like Duquesne hired like an in-house uh, NIL brand builder and that was like really unique and and some of these programs you know it's like they throw all these consulting partnerships at you but you don't actually know what that means for the athletes on the day-to-day so those were kind of my initial thoughts on it and then like i said and it was nice of you to agree that you know georgetown and duke do have a lot of similarities the size of the school the type of school uh the prestige that they that that they hold but Duke is an FBS school, even no matter what right. you think about Duke football. And, and it's been better under Cutcliffe in the last, you know, however many years they've been, they've been a much better team than from what I remember growing up. So Duke does have the FBS money, which means whatever the ACC network is, you know, they've got that. They have the bowl tie-ins, all that stuff. What is it that these, and look, if you're listening and you're going to be offended, Georgetown does have football. I understand that, but it's FCS and it's completely different. So what are some of the things that the non-FBS schools can do? And have you seen, you just mentioned something that, that Duquesne is doing. Is there something that you've seen that you really like from a non-FBS school so far? Because that's probably, to be honest, right, who Georgetown needs to be comparing themselves to. Right. And the thing, though, is, like, just to preface this, like, I don't necessarily think a lack of resources means, especially at the Division One level when, you know, we're not talking about Division Three. We are talking yeah. about Division One still. Yeah. It's it's less about how much money you have to throw at these programs and more about like how you use the resources that you do have. So I think Duquesne's in-house investment in in brand building is is a great example of that. They got a guy who has a track record 
of building people's brands on social media. And I interviewed him over the summer and he basically was like, my plan is I'm going to go in, I'm going to teach these kids how to, first of all, figure out what they want to do with their brand. Do they want to start a podcast? Do they want to do endorsements? Do they want to start a sports clinic? And then once we, you know, what are their values? What are their interests? And then when I do, once they figure that out, then we're going to go about figuring out how they can leverage their social media and their brand to accomplish those goals. And like the thing that I've always said about Georgetown as a student there, you know, like Georgetown has, is one of the few basketball programs with a built-in story. You don't need necessarily to build a Georgetown brand because it's already there, right? It's a historic program with a, you know, with a, historic black coach looming over it in a city that where, where Georgetown and, and a region where Georgetown meant a lot. It's a program that has stood up for social justice for decades. It's a program with a track record, particularly of standing up for young black men. And that is a brand. <laughs> I mean, you know, not to sound. Yeah. I mean, we, we saw it, like, we saw it last year when they came out of nowhere to win the Big East tournament all of a sudden they were, you know, one of the tops of college basketball after having a pretty mediocre year. Right. And, and, and so, you know, and then there's Patrick Ewing as part of that legacy, right. And Patrick Ewing is recruiting guys who, who he wants to be part of that legacy. Right. So Georgetown has a, we're like, obviously every athlete on these teams is going to have to build their own brands and figure out like what they do they like cooking? Like, it's stupid, but like, seriously, like, do they like cooking? Are they funny? Like, what is their, you know, the, what is their brand? But Georgetown as a team has a built-in brand of social justice, you know, of its local connections, of John Thompson's legacy, right? Yeah. And as much, and as much as, yeah, we are living in, you know, 2021, and you know, like, that legacy should could be leveraged from an NIL perspective to help their current athletes. Like, I don't understand why every, because every brand right now wants to align in a social justice cause because all the brands know that consumers these days, like have like want their values recognized in brands. So every single company in the DMV area, right. That is interested in these same social justice causes that Georgetown historically has shown interest in. They should, I don't know why they aren't lining up to, to work with Georgetown. And I don't know why Georgetown wouldn't be going out to say, hey, you want to you wanna tell this story with your brand and your brand's values? We align with that, right? Like we are Georgetown and we are going to show you how we can do that with our athletes and with NIL. Obviously, there are issues with like, you know, there's like rules about whether the coaches can actually set up the deals and stuff. But like, you know, I mean... That should that to me as an example of like advice to give to Georgetown, not that they ask, but like it's like <laughs> they have like such an easy brand that's already there. There's so many schools, there's so many incredible basketball schools where their only legacy is that they're good, right? So, yeah. and and that only takes you so far in the sponsorship and endorsement space. That's all pretty good. I've had some people come to me with questions and I don't know them. And since you're here, I can ask you. You mentioned as far as the coach setting them up, I've had people come to me and ask me, you know, um, can, you know, particularly since Georgetown has such a, you know, hall of fame 
um, you know, one of the best players of all time as their coach. Could he be involved in something as far as, and my guess is no, but I've had people say, well, let's say one of the players on the team got a deal with, you know, a local car dealership or something like, Mm -hmm. could the, could the coach be a part of that commercial? Ooh, (laughs) that is a good question. I can't necessarily say yes or no. My inclination is, is, is no, unless. Me too. Me too. I mean, like coaches can make money off of their own NIL, right? So it would have to be like maybe a separate contract. There obviously may be some issues with that, but the issues would be defined in the school's policy. They would be defined in a state law policy. There may be a federal law coming at some point. We have no idea when that's going to happen or if it's going to happen at all. Um, But regardless of whether or not like a coach can actually set up deals. I mean, if you, Patrick Ewing is a brand in and of himself. So I'm sure that he has experience, you know, with, with this sort of thing. And, and to me, like, if I were on his team, I would be saying like, Hey coach, like, what did you do when sponsors approached you? Like, what did you tell your agent that you want? What types of things did you want to do? What types of things did you not want to do? Because a lot of these schools are hiring people to come in and explain that to these kids about education, financial literacy, like how do you decide what deals to do? And I, again, I, I have no idea, but I would imagine that, you know, an NBA, like a former NBA player would be able to answer some of those questions maybe so even if he can't set up deals i imagine he has some advice to give on his own right right so just like you know he's got the experience of you know being an endorser just like he has the experience of having played in the nba like the the positives for him as far as advice they don't seem to end right right exactly exactly and a lot of people are worried about about college athletes getting taken advantage of and and that's sort of a dicey subject because it's like, well, anyone can get taken advantage of at any age to do any sort of business deal. So it's like, you know, you can't, how much do you really put a restriction on a college athlete? Like the NCAA has this long history of like sort of infantilizing athletes and, you know, using that as an excuse to keep them from being able to do things. But it is a concern. And a lot of athletes will sign agents, but a lot of athletes won't. And so when you have a guy like Patrick Ewing in the, in the building, who clearly is the sort of uh, the sort of coach who is all in on his players and is going to look out for them, like that's what I would that that's somewhere that I would go, right? Yeah. So. No, it's it's a good it's a good resource. Speaking of taking advantage of players, Georgetown for probably at least forty years now has had a freshman policy where the the freshman can't speak until second semester, which is January. Um, and I think that this rule was, it came about at a time where it was probably really necessary and needed. Personal opinion is that it has completely outlived its usefulness. And I bring it up with you because over the weekend, we had a crazy Red River shootout game and Oklahoma came back. They benched uh, one of their, they, they benched their quarterback that uh, was, you know, in line for a Heisman. And he's talked about as a draft pick, a high draft pick. And they put in a, a freshman and he led them back. And there was a story on Yahoo Sports about how the fact that afterwards, um, Oklahoma, um, they didn't let him speak. And Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, there's a lot of college football because, you know, college football, much, you know, unlike college basketball, most of the freshmen get redshirted. So you're usually dealing with when you talk about freshmen in college football, 
you're usually talking about, you know, actually sophomores academically. So, in, so the, you know, talked about the adverse effects this would have on NIL going forward, you know, from all of the research and reporting you've been doing on NIL in the past few months, what's your take on the idea that, you know, obviously recruiting, it's all about trying to find a way to give a better deal to players to, you know, entice them to come play for you. Could this be a negative, or I guess maybe I'm leading you in that way. What's, what's your take <laughs> on, I guess it's not really a, that surprise of which way I'm uh, going on this, but what's your take on the fact that if there's some schools that aren't going to let freshmen um, speak and how does that hurt their NIL uh, possibilities? Yeah, it's absolutely a negative because athletes need to be able to have their own voice in, in order to be able to build a brand and make money. And obviously, yeah, I, I understand, uh, you know, you're 18, 19 years old, and it's, you know, you, you don't want to get put in a position where, you know, you, you say something that you regret later, like we all say things that we regret. And, you know, and these really are like, in many ways, you know, they're kids. And so you have to appreciate that. Like when I was 18, and I was a freshman at Georgetown, like, I am really happy that people weren't interviewing me all the time because I'm sure I would have said something stupid. But also something that I didn't have at 18 at Georgetown as a regular student that these athletes do is the, is, is access to media training, right? As like a college at your SID should be, should be in the NIL era when, when, whether it be press conferences or social media, you need to be taught what you should say even more than what you shouldn't say, because it's like, and, and this is not my own idea. Someone told me this a while ago and I unfortunately cannot remember who it was, but it's like, and, and I, and I read actually, there's a guy named Andy Wittry, I think his name is. And he, he does a lot of public records requests and he published a story about all of the ways that, that athletic department like manuals limit social media usage and, and, tell their athletes what they can and can't say on social and obviously it's different from press conferences but I think it's like a similar idea like in the NIL era you have so much to lose for not ever saying anything you literally have money to lose now for not saying anything so I understand being you know from a maternal or paternal perspective being concerned about you know, putting young athletes up on that podium, but at the same time, what if they are really great? What if they get a chance to explain themselves if they don't do well and they give a really impressive explanation? They take ownership. What if, you know, there's something about their personality that catches the eye of a brand? These sorts of things matter. And to me, I just don't understand why any school would want to be stifling their own athletes, because by the way, they have less power to do so than ever. NCAA, especially big programs, have gotten tighter and tighter with their access in recent years to to athletes. But now athletes have agents and athletes have brand um, communications folks who want to put those athletes out into the media. So yeah, like the athlete may not be going on the post-game press conference, but somebody else might get him somewhere else based on an NIL deal he, he or she is doing. So, I mean, it's, it's really hard to silence athletes nowadays completely. And, 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 and I just sort of feel like the cons of that outweigh the pros. Like 
Georgetown should be sitting their athletes down, giving them some really good quality media training, and then letting them, you know, letting them show their personality. Yeah. Yeah. I think, like I said, I think it was a great rule when it started and, you know, the world is just so different than that. And, you know, I know a lot of the kids do so much while they're in high school, even some other questions I had were, you know, what, what, what's the best way, let's say you're a guard on Georgetown, like what's the best, or I guess most, most likely way for an NIL deal to happen. Is it for him? Does he go to Georgetown and say, Hey, look, I want to try and make X amount of dollars per month. Do companies come to him or does it go through blueprint? Like what's kind of, what's the way that you would see this happening just like in a, in an, in a most common way, obviously there's probably different avenues to, for an athlete to secure a deal, but like, what's the most common route that they're going to take? Yeah. So, um, obviously like the athletic departments have to be careful about actually like facilitating deals. They can't mm-hmm. really do that. So the way that it works. So if you have an agent, it's like in the pros, a brand reaches out to the agent or the agent reaches out to the brand for the guys who don't have agents, I would say, and this is advice that experts have given to me, including the, the CEO of Athliance, one of the companies that Georgetown has partnered with is that like, athletes should be proactive with reaching out to brands that they think fit their values and their personality and whatever. I mean, it could be like as easy, it could be as easy as, you know, I mean, like Chipotle has, has signed deals with athletes. If you're obsessed with Chipotle and you eat Chipotle every day, like (sighs) reach out to Chipotle, you know what I mean? It's like, where is the YZ's NIL deal? Has there been one yet? Like, I, you know, it's like, I would have asked YZ's to do an NIL deal with me um, when I was at Georgetown. But athletes should be reaching out to brands. And then, I mean, a lot of brands are reaching out to athletes just through social media. A lot of athletes put, like, business inquiries and it's, like, either their email, their agent's email, or whatever. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to these these Georgetown basketball players and the Georgetown athletes, sort of writ large, if I were them, I would be reaching out to brands because brands want to get involved in this space. And again, it's like, just because you reach out to a brand doesn't mean the deal is going to happen when it comes to eligibility and approving the deals. I don't know exactly what Georgetown's program is, but usually the compliance department is involved. So yeah, I think the athletes should be proactive. And I think that the local brands should be proactive about reaching out directly to the athletes because I mean they could if they reach out to the athletic department they might they'll definitely get information about like compliance and you know like there was an alcohol company in Florida that did a deal and that company's business director reached out to the athletic director to ask about whether you know alcohol companies could partner with their athletes first and then he reached out to the player so yeah but like the the athletic department is involved from a compliance perspective. They like, I wouldn't go to an athletic department and say, Hey, like I want to sign a deal with your athletes. I mean, like, I'm sure that's happening, but like technically I do not believe that it's supposed to be the way that it goes. And then if I'm just an athlete and I get a DM from a company that says, Hey, Bobby, we want you to do X, Y, and Z. Here's what we're thinking as that athlete what's what's my next move do i just continue to talk with them or do i need to go to you know georgetown compliance and be like hey here's what's going on is this cool yeah again i think there definitely i'm assuming is a compliance aspect i'm trying to look um i know that affluence is working on 
the compliance, I believe. Um, I don't know if Athliance is actually like approving the deals and like, or, or if it's someone in their compliance department. Okay. But if I'm an, but if I'm an athlete, uh, and someone reaches out to me, you know, if if the athlete doesn't have an agent, I, I would, you know, ask some sort of lawyer or somebody um, in the department that I trust if there's a contract, right? <laughs> well, so, hey, we we've got a lawyer at uh, Casual Hoya that's been offering up pro bono, or you know, just to look over stuff. So there you go. Yeah. So like any, you know, just get someone that you trust to look over the contract. I. I mean, again, I, um, not every school like, uh, like forces athletes to disclose their NIL deals. A lot of them do. I would be surprised if Georgetown didn't, but again, yeah, that's not like something that I would, I know from the outside what exactly their process is, but I'm sure that they are telling their athletes, or I'd like to think they're telling their athletes that there is a compliance aspect who to send okay. it to <laughs> and how to get it approved. And, you know, as an alum, a Georgetown alum, I should say, uh, you know, basketball is not the only sport and it's not the only sport that's done really well recently. I mean, I've had the men's soccer coach on a couple of times. He's won a national championship. We keep making the comment that Georgetown's been a soccer school recently, which it absolutely has. My How much... friends make that joke too. Okay. Okay. How much opportunity do you think there is for the non-basketball sport? You know, basically every other sport, but, but basketball, I mean, you know, I, I know the fans focus on that, but I do get people coming to me asking me like, well, look, you know, it's not just basketball. And it's, it's true. I think there's a lot of Olympic um, athletes at Georgetown and like you said, soccer and all that. Like what else, what other opportunities are you seeing around the country for the non, I guess I'll say football, basketball, maybe throw baseball in there as well. Like, um, yeah, so huge opportunities. Like there are several experts who have predicted that women's sports athletes in particular could make as much money or more than men's sports athletes. Every single athlete on Georgetown's campus, every single athlete at an NCAA school, but on Georgetown's campus in particular, should be looking into NIL. Because if you play volleyball, I mean, again, we have renowned soccer programs, right? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. and in soccer, there's such a huge and increasingly growing market for soccer um, volleyball is also increasingly growing and it's in particular volleyball and women's volleyball has an extremely loyal niche and active niche fan base. Like some of the highest earners right now, uh, as far as women's sports athletes are women's volleyball players. And some of the recent numbers from open doors, which is like another NIL company found that in the first couple months of NIL, women's volleyball players were making the second most amount of money behind men's football or behind football. So oh. there are oh. huge opportunities there. They may not be like the same opportunities. I mean, you know, Georgetown men's basketball players with the stage they have, you know, you would think that they would be signing deals with national companies, right? It, perhaps some of the other sports athletes without the same exposure might start out with some of the more local deals or maybe they're doing sports clinics or maybe, I mean, you know, even as influencers on campus, like a lot of these and I, or a lot of the brands looking to get into NIL are looking to do sort of like the campus ambassador program, but, but for NIL. So they want to get as many athletes at a school or on a team as possible to promote their product. And even if it's just on campus, I mean, like, 
we had company, we had brand ambassadors at Georgetown when I was there. And I'm sure those companies and those companies were just going to regular students who didn't have much of a following, you know, and just saying like, hey, you know, can you promote my product? Imagine how much a, you know, women's volleyball player, I haven't looked at the roster, but like, you know, with, let's say even just 5,000 followers on Instagram, you know, any sort of business that is looking to get into the community at Georgetown should be looking at those types of athletes. It's not just basketball. And I've written, honestly, like, I feel like I've written just as much about the non-football and men's basketball opportunities as the basketball ones. I could talk about it forever and I will stop now. But every single athlete at Georgetown should be looking into this because they all have opportunities. Well, I can't let you get out of without <laughs> trying to figure out when you were at Georgetown and oh. what was your what was your basketball experience? Oh gosh. All right. So I was at Georgetown from twenty fifteen to twenty nineteen, which I believe are the first four years yeah. consecutively since nineteen eighty that Georgetown did not make the tournament. I was heavily involved. I was in Hoya Blue, and I actually, I, I even interned for the department on, like, the marketing side, you know, just to, like, get as much basketball exposure as possible. It was a rough basketball experience. Well, anytime there's a fun. coaching change, it's probably not going to be the best of times, right? Because usually coaching it, changes happen because the success isn't there. Right, absolutely. And I remember um, my freshman year in Hoya Blue, for example, um, JT3 was, was still there. And like, we were giving out the, the, the student, like the, the t-shirts and cause that was like our job. And yeah. we were just sitting around and waiting for kids to come and, and, and I mean, like some of us did it for like hours and he came over and handed us his credit card and said, you know, get something from Chipotle. I hope you wouldn't mind that I'm <laughs> telling the story, but I was just a student then. It wasn't on or off the record. He was like, you know, he was like, yeah. here's my credit card. Buy yourself lunch. Thank you so much for helping out. Yeah. And and that's like something that really stuck with me. You know, I mean, like for all of the drama and everything that ha transpired with him, you know, I, I can never say anything bad about his character or how he treated the students at Georgetown. I didn't talk to Patrick Ewing a lot, but I met him, you know, obviously like he was around and, you know, it was obviously extremely exciting when he got there. You know, I will say we had some good games. We had, um, we had the Nova game. We had some good, we had, I think we had two times we beat Q's. That was yeah. like, it was like my first year was the first year of that four year sort of um, non-conference partnership to sort of bring back the rivalry. Right. Um, and yes, I was sitting outside of Capital One then, what was it called, Verizon Center? Verizon. At four, four o'clock in the morning. So even though we didn't make the tournament, we still, I, I, I still would say we made the most of it. And, so that's um, my and next all, question. So you were like a, you were like a going to all the games type of person. Because I feel like there's all these excuses why the students don't go. And most of the students or former students I've had on here have always been part of the I'm going to all the games crew. Yeah. I mean, there, there was, a, especially like the Hoya Blue students, like there was a small but mighty crew of us, even in those really bad, I think it was like our sophomore year, like things were really, really bad. Yeah. And we just went because, I mean, 
on, I almost went to Michigan. Like I, you know, I, I went in wanting to have the college sports experience and I gave up, you know, the sort of um, power five game day thing and Georgetown basketball was promised to me. So I milked every second of it that I could. I have a million guesses as to why, you know, students didn't go to the games. I am absolutely a proponent that um, McDonough should have more games. So many students were just like stressed and busy and like, frankly, didn't want to pay $20 to Uber. I know they have the buses, but the buses get crowded and, and it's difficult to get to the games and, you know, it's expensive to eat at the games, to drink at the games. And, you know, for many other reasons why, you know, the student section wasn't always filled that I yeah. think, you know, things that can be, can be helped now. But, but yeah, I was one of those people. I was on FS1 making an absolute fool of myself many times. <laughs> I mean, you get, you get a four year shot and you just have to do it. You know, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. And even when the times aren't great, like you said, there are those great experiences. And if you don't go, if you miss some of the games, you'll see your friends running on the court and you'll be like, Oh, I'm supposed to do that. You can only do that for, you know, four years of your life. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we never got to do that. We were at the time where the folks at Capital One, every time we got close to winning, you know, they would bring down every <laughs> single usher and security person. <laughs> oh. And we were like, all right, well, I guess we can't storm the court. We didn't have the Villanova game. I, I, I think it, that was like my senior year that we won would have been an opportunity to storm the court maybe. Yeah. or there. It's like we beat Villanova and Marquette. I think we beat, beat Marquette away though. I wasn't at that game. Okay. But you know, we had we had our moments and it's it's a lifelong club, you know, and I live in New York City now. I'm close to Madison Square Garden. So hopefully there will be um, you know, I mean like I'm sure you've talked a lot about the recruiting class because there isn't much else to talk about right now. So I don't know. Yeah, I'd we're like just trying to get we're just, <laughs> we're just trying to get confirmation that they're all on the roster. And yeah, it's it's you know, it looks like it's coming off a Big East tournament championship. It looks like the strongest class they have. They do have to replace some guys like Pickett and Blair that have been there forever and Belay who made a cameo appearance but helped a lot. They are losing guys, but it does look like a really good class. And um, there's a lot to be positive about it as the season comes on. It sounds like you're still following the program, which is good. And hopefully at the Big East tournament, you'll find a way to get there. Yes, yes, I um, I hope so. I'm going to try to make it to Big East Media Day next week as well um, to cover sort of more. Uh, NIL and business of college sports stuff. But yeah, I mean, the last thing I'll say is like, hello, the recruiting class, huge NIL potential for these guys, right? Um, oh, yeah. Ryan Matumbo, Mina Muhammad, like these are big names. Like these are, these are major names in the grassroots basketball space. And there have been NIL deals signed in the grassroots basketball space already with, with people who aren't even in college yet. So they absolutely, I mean, they could be huge in the NIL space. Oh, you know what? I was going to let you leave, but now I'm going to ask you one more question. Um, <laughs> okay. It sounds like Aminu Muhammad cannot participate in NIL, I believe, because of his maybe citizenship status. Oh, good point. Yes. So if he is on an F1 visa, which is a student visa, then he mm -hmm. cannot participate in NIL. That is a good point, and I didn't even think about that because he's been in the U.S. for a while. Yeah, so, yeah, that's another thing. International athletes, of which there are many at Georgetown, cannot participate. I should have mentioned that caveat. It's an ice okay. thing. It's, it's an ice thing. It's 
very unfortunate. There are people sort of working, even the NCAA has called for at least clarity on that. Um, like when I was in grad school at journalism school, international students weren't even allowed to sign or to publish articles because of this rule. It's not just an athlete thing. So yeah, anyone on an F-class visa should definitely consult with some sort of um, immigration lawyer before signing an NIL deal, and they probably won't be able to participate, at least as of now. And I'm glad, so very glad you brought that up, because that's a huge, important point. Yeah, well, there seems like there's a million points to this. Um, Amanda Kristovich, A. Kristovich on Twitter, she is at front office sports is there anything about front office sports besides you that we need to be aware of that we need to be reading <laughs> besides well i'll just plug i have a three times weekly college sport business of college sports newsletter where i cover a lot of nil stuff and a lot of basketball stuff during basketball season um it's free you can subscribe at frontofficesports.com slash college and that's where pretty much all my writing goes okay well, that's cool. Well, I'll be interested to see what you're tweeting about at Big East Media Day. I cannot make the trek up there. I think there's going to be a little bit of a virtual part, but it sounds like it's a yeah. very, it's a very um, short time that they're going to be doing that. But uh, it'll be great to get all that because it'll feel like basketball season is just around the corner, which it is. And um, want to thank you so much for coming on. Georgetown strikes any big NIL deals. I'll need to get you back on to see what you think yeah. about it. And all that Sounds stuff good. but everyone i hope gives you a follow so they can figure out what's going on well thank you again for having me um always fun to talk about nil and georgetown basketball my two favorite sports subjects so it is and thanks everyone for listening to another edition of kente corner subscribe rate and leave a comment let me know what we need to do better let me know what you like and we will get on that for sure amanda thanks again i'll see you next time